When was the last time you spent the day trying to talk to a three-year-old? Uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't too long ago for me. And, you know, the day kind of goes like this, you know, water, what? Water. What, what, what water? And you don't know what she's talking about, but, you know, she wants a drink of water. You finally figure that out. Or maybe they pick something up somewhere. You don't know where. It's something you don't want them to say. And it takes you a little while to figure out even what it is that they're saying. Or you just try to figure out all day long what it is that's being said. I don't know how many times we'll be driving down the road and Micah will say something in the back seat and we'll go, what? Huh? And we'll, we'll hear something completely different. Carrie always hears things that are different. I'm having to go, Carrie, let's listen to her for a minute. Let's turn around. Look at her words. We can't, I can't read her lips. I'm driving. I'm not supposed to read her lips. I'm not supposed to look back there. You look back there and tell me what she's saying. And she'll look and she'll try to read. And I, there was one where she sings a Christmas song. What song is it? Um, yeah. Um, and it's Deck the Halls, but none of the words are right. And I still to this day don't know what she says when she sings it. Because we've tried all the different combinations we can think of and none of them work. There's a misunderstanding somewhere. There is a communication breakdown. And sometimes we find that. And this passage this week falls into that category. This is one of those passages that to me in our society is one of the grossest misunderstandings of the word of Jesus when he says, follow me, um, ever. Because people take this passage and they use it for things that aren't anywhere near what it is that, that Jesus meant it for. Uh, so far, we are Matthew 16. So far, Matthew 16, we have seen uh, Peter's confession of Christ. Peter has said, Jesus says, who do people say I am? And, you know, well, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're one of the prophets. Well, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, man, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, man, on you, on this testimony, on this, I will build my church. I mean, we've seen this confession. And then we've seen Peter, just a little bit later, Come up and get rebuked because Jesus says, I have to die. And Peter says, no, not going to happen, Jesus. I'm going to go with you to the very end. And Jesus looks at Peter, the one who has given this great confession, and says, get behind me, Satan. And that is where we pick up this morning. He has just said to Peter, get behind me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. And it's there in verse 24 of Matthew 16 that we pick up. Our text this morning, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. I assure you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your message. Open our ears so that we can hear it. And we ask all of these things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, 
Amen. When I look at this passage, and I think I've said this before several times, and you're probably going to go, you keep saying the same thing. Well, I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. Um, following Jesus isn't just about heaven. It's not just about heaven. I, I think we have perpetrated a great injustice in contemporary times. Because there are people whose lives are not transformed who claim to be following Jesus. There are people who were living in sin saying, yep, I'm following Jesus because you can't judge me. I'm following Jesus because only, only God can judge me. They ought to be scared by that thought, but they're not. Because they believe, hey... Jesus didn't care what I do as long as I say that I believe him. As long as I believe that, that Jesus is, is my homeboy. As long as I have good bumper stickers on the back of my car. As long as I wear Christian t-shirts. As long as I do these things that tell everybody else that I'm a believer without actually being the things that I need to be, I'm good. And that's what some people believe. That I follow Jesus by simply saying that I'm following him. But that doesn't even make logical sense, does it? If... I am going to take you on a tour of my childhood and we're going through the different places and, and suburbs of the Dallas-Fort Worth area to see where it was that I was growing up and I tell you to follow me, it doesn't mean you're going to park your car in the Walmart parking lot while I drive around to the places I went to. It means you're going to go behind me to the places where there's action that takes place. Saying you're following isn't the same thing as actually following. But following Jesus, according to this passage, isn't just about heaven. It's not just about saying, oh yes, I now get out of hell free because I've got my little card. Following Jesus means so much more. When we tell people, just come down, and I know we've heard the passionate pleas, and I know I've made them in my past. If you'll come down now, just come down and you accept Jesus and you'll be with him forever and eternity, and we leave it at that. There's something wrong with that. Because God has called us to more. He's called us to be more. Because what this passage tells us is that your wants, desires, and dreams become secondary when following Jesus. Literally, our life takes the back seat. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself. What you want, what you think you need, what you dream about is no longer important if you're following Jesus, if you're doing the things that Jesus is calling you to do. The things that we want become less important than what Jesus would want in our lives. Not that we don't have, not that what we don't have isn't just as important. It, it may seem impossible to you, but, but I've had this dream my entire life. I've wanted this my entire life. For 30 years I've wanted this. There's no way that God would want me to get rid of it. I had one lady in a Bible study one time, we were talking about giving up your children to God and letting God have your children and let God take care of your children. And the response was, I don't think God really means that I need to give him my children. Why not? God calls us to things. He changes things. Jesus rearranges your priorities. As you go closer to Jesus, his wants become your wants. In a marriage relationship, in a good marriage relationship, okay, not like the apple dumpling gang marriage. Y'all see the apple dumpling gang? Okay. The young people haven't. The older people probably have. The apple dumpling gang, they got married for convenience to adopt the kids. Okay. In a good marriage, 
The relationship should change you. Their wants and desires should begin to be your wants and desires. The things that, that we want become less important. How many things are there, for those of you who've been married for a while, how many things did you used to hate that you now tolerate or might even like? For Carrie, it was red beans. Right? She hated red beans. I grew up, I mean, you know, we're a southern family. I told you, she's a Yankee. It's okay. I had to train her. Um, we're a southern family. We had red beans every Saturday. We would go to Mama's house, and she'd have them on the stove, and you walked in, and you smelt first the pancakes. as Papa's making the pancakes. But Mama's got the beans on. They're, they're making. They're going to be ready at lunchtime, and that's what we're going to have. And I grew up on that. And Carrie and I began dating. And we almost didn't get married over the subject of beans. Because, man, she wanted to mess up my beans, and I was not having that. I mean, we walk in the store, she's like, but you got to get barbecue sauce. Uh-uh. No. That ain't beans. I don't know what y'all are doing to them, but that's something different. But over the years, that has changed. And over the years, that's one of our go-to meals. We, she's learned to love it. She's learned to do that. You know, me to a certain extent, I've had the same thing, uh, kind of. Uh, I'm a bold personality, so Carrie has changed a lot since we've been married. Would you believe that Carrie didn't used to talk at all? <laughs> See, finally somebody's laughing. She didn't used to talk at all. She wouldn't, she wouldn't speak. She, wouldn't, she would never stand up for something. She'd come back and she'd go, do you know what they did? And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell them? I'm not going to tell them. And then she met me. Bless her heart. That southern fort, you never mind. Um, yeah. And so then I was like, oh, we need somebody to lead the music, Carrie. Can you do that? What? Well, I don't want to do it and then preach, so I need you to do it. Oh, okay. And then she started teaching. And now, sometimes I wish she didn't talk, but that's a whole other sermon. Um, we change. The things that we do change, and they change us, right? That's what a marriage relationship does. It's not an accident that the relationship between Jesus and the church is described as a marriage in Scripture. Because it's supposed to change you in the same way. It's supposed to radically change the things that, that you've done. Have you ever seen the movie Amazing Grace? I love that movie. And it's about the, the getting rid of the slave trade in the British colonies. And in the midst of the movie, you have Newton, the man who, who wrote the song. And he's talking about his days as a ship captain, slave trader. And he's talking about the conditions that were there. And in the midst of this, he begins to cry and he says something along the lines of, we were the animals and we put them in boxes. And then he quotes his song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When he found Jesus, when he found the grace that came from Jesus, he realized his life had to change. 
he realized that he was called to something more. And the things that he'd been doing can't be the things that he continues doing. But what I find is nobody really wants to do what Jesus is calling us to do. Just take a moment and let that sink in and and think about what I'm fixing to say. Because what I'm fixing to say is one of those ouch moments because we don't like it. We don't want to do it. There's a misunderstanding that comes in because what happens is we say things like, it's just my cross that I have to bear. Stubbed my toe this week, had to go to the doctor, cost me some money. It's just the cross that I have to bear. But the cross isn't about discomfort, it's about death. The disciples knew the cross as an instrument of death. So they would never say something like, oh, it's just the cross I have to bear. They didn't have pretty little diamond crosses on their, on their uh, chest, all around their neck. They didn't have decorative crosses on their walls. They didn't have those things. When they saw a cross, they saw this monstrosity, this grotesque instrument of death. And so for them, when Jesus said, take up your cross, they kind of went, whoa, huh? Te- G- Jesus, um, you, you know what a cross is used for, right, Jesus? This, this is me. This is my New International Troy version. This is what goes on in the disciples' heads, I think. Jesus, it's the cross. He says, take up your cross. Deny yourself if you want to really come after me. If you really want to follow me. If you really want to come with me. Peter, he's talking to Peter here, remember? Because Peter said, Jesus, that's never going to happen. You're not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me because you're thinking about man's needs, not God's. If you really want to come after me, if you really want to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. What? Jesus isn't calling us to be uncomfortable. He's calling us to die. That's the hard part. Man, this this doesn't jive well with American philosophy, right? I have certain rights. The founding fathers said there were certain rights that were unalienable. But Jesus said, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Being a disciple requires us to walk as Jesus walked. You know, I'm, I, I debated here whether I wanted to say between as Jesus walked or where Jesus walked. But I didn't say where because Jesus walked a path so we wouldn't have to walk it. So we don't walk where Jesus walked because he walked that path. He took, he took my sin. He took my shame. When you sing that, right? Took my shame and my sorrow. Right? He took it. I don't have to walk that path. He crucified my sin on the cross. Everything I ever did or ever will do that's wrong, every time that I failed, every accident that I have, everything that's going on, Jesus took it, put it on the cross, he nailed it there, and he left it there. 
I don't walk where Jesus walked because he walked the path so that I wouldn't have to. But he does call us to walk as he walks. He calls us to walk as he walks, giving up our life for his plan. Now, this is deep theology here. And we're going to wade into it. I don't want to get too deep. Jesus was fully God and fully man. No man wants to die a death on a cross. No man wants to go through that. Honestly, no man wants to die, period. But Jesus said, I will. Jesus said, I'll go. Jesus willingly laid down his life. He laid down on the cross. He let them do what they were going to do. Jesus did that. It's amazing. The other day, in our morning reading, in the end of Matthew, he said to Peter, the same guy, don't you know that I could have called 10,000 angels? Don't you know that your little sword isn't going to do anything for this? Don't you know that this has to happen? And I'll let it happen. When we walk as Jesus walked, it means that we are allowed our life to take the back seat. It means that we allow our life to die off so that the life we live is now a life in Jesus. Now, you may ask, why? Why would I do that? Why would I give up all the dreams and desires and wants I've ever had? Because that's the number one, the number one excuse I've been given for people who don't want to go to church. They don't want to follow Jesus. I still have some living I want to do. Okay. Sure. The truth is, there is no treasure, the greatest treasure the world offers, pales in comparison to what Jesus offers. That's just true. He says, and I, I don't like the word life. Life here means eternity and things like that. But I've always, you know, I listen to the Toby Mac song. So, you know, I don't want to lose my soul. Life, you know, hey, I don't want to lose my soul. What would it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I think back to the temptation of Jesus. And I think his temptation mirrors our own a lot of the time. But he, the tempter, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, takes him up on the mountain and says, all of this can be yours. I'll give you the whole world. Just worship me. The devil still does that today, right? I'll give you everything you want I find it, I think the Bible says test the spirits for a reason. I've, I've, I've watched so many times as people want to look at things and say, oh, that's big, God must be blessing it. The devil said, if you'll follow me, I'll give you everything. I'll make it as big as you want it to be. I'll give you the world. Nations will follow you. Jesus says, what does it profit you? If you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. What does it profit you? You can be high-powered. 
You could be the king of the world. And you could lose your soul. To have it all here means we lose it all there. To have it all here means we probably really never had it to begin with. Because Jesus turns the world on its head. I love, I I call it a gospel economy. The gospel economy is backwards from the worldly economy. The first is last, the last is first. The lost is found, the found is lost. The blind can see, the sighted can't. The gospel economy is completely different. Jesus turns the world on its head. When he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He's not saying, oh, just be uncomfortable. He's not saying, just make a little bit of room in your life for me. He's saying, give it all. I want it. I want every bit of it. Everything. You know, I was asked this week, if I believe Jesus' words when he says, you'll do greater things than these. I do. But we'll never do greater things than Jesus did until we surrender our entire life to Jesus. Until we are following him with everything we have and all of us has gone away, then we'll finally do the things that Jesus called us to do. Our problem is we want to make a little bit of room. Okay, Jesus, I have cleared out this corner of the house for you. This is your corner. Set up your room however you want to set up your room, and I'll come visit you every once in a while. And when I don't want to see you, I will close the door. And I will live how I want to live out here. And in that room, I'll be different. But out here, but see, Jesus wants the whole house. He wants the whole life. He wants the whole soul. I know it's football, and this is the basketball town. But have you seen Facing the Giants? They played to the glory of God. That's who they were playing to, to the glory of God. They weren't playing for themselves. They weren't playing because they wanted to win. They were playing each and every game so that they could glorify the Lord. That's what they were doing. It was no longer about them. It was no longer about the coach. It was no longer about their families. No longer about a trophy. It was about everything that I do on this field should be that God is glorified. And that's what God calls us to in our lives. Everything we do in our lives should be something that finds that God is glorified. Man, die to yourself and pick up the instrument of destruction and follow me. That's what he says. Following Jesus, the call to discipleship is not easy. But somewhere along the way, we said that it is. Somewhere along the way, we've told people that it's, it's easy peasy. And it is easy to come to salvation. It's the easiest thing in the world. But Jesus calls us to more than salvation. He calls us to more 
than just claiming him. He calls us to a relationship. To a relationship that says, your life, Jesus, your will, Jesus, is more important than my will. And that becomes hard because the world begins pulling at us, right? The world begins saying, but I need your time. I need your energy. I need you here and I need you there. All the while Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm still here. I'm still waiting. My arms are still open. I just want you home. Maybe this morning, you've been struggling with letting go of dreams and desires and wants. That's hard. We spend 18 years or more teaching our kids to dream. And then Jesus comes along and says, die to yourself, follow me. But he also promises that he will give us the desires of our heart. But our desires change. Maybe there's something you've been holding on to that you're not ready to let go of yet. Now's the time to let it go and say, okay, God, I'll give it all to you because I want to follow you. Maybe. Maybe the cross seems too heavy right now. Maybe you don't know how much more you can go on. Now, I'm going to be frank right now. We have a a cultural crisis on our hands where people are giving in to the thoughts of depression and suicide at an alarming rate. If the cross is too heavy this week, guys, come talk to me. You don't have to carry the cross alone. I don't, I don't skirt around issues. I don't want you to carry the cross alone. I, I, I want you to know that you are never alone in this world because God has given us a family here to walk alongside each other. Maybe this morning, you have something else. Maybe you need to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe... Maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Never, maybe you've never taken the step to say, I want to know Him. I want to follow Him. Maybe you've never taken that first step. Now would be a great time. We're not promised tomorrow. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, it's, it's so hard to live countercultural. It's so hard to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give it all to you because, because my way doesn't work. Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for 
your blessings that you've just poured out upon us. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, make every need known. Let no one leave here with the need that has gone unmet. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen.